If views of mountains from stadiums are your thing, you've come to the right place. Welcome to this week's episode of Corners of the World, featuring football in Norway. The tension on Norwegian football has grown over the last year, following the explosive emergence of young wonderkid Ellingbrot Haaland in the Champions League, first for Red Bull Salzburg, and then for Borussia Dortmund. As well as this, Norway have recently crowned new champions, a team playing exciting football that will be hoping to demonstrate this in Europe next season, whether in the Champions League or the brand new Europa Conference League. In this episode, I interview Kurt Baker from FOTMOB, a football schools and news service based in Bergen that also sponsor Hampton and Richmond Borough, which makes them great. We discuss the new party football phenomenon that took this season's Elite Syrian by storm, the current generation of young, talented Norwegian footballers, and the alternative lifestyles of some of Norway's women's footballers. I hope you enjoy this discussion on Norwegian football that extraordinarily doesn't include a mention of Manchester United's current manager. At time of recording. I'm joined by Kurt Baker. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, Norwegian football is um, quite exciting at the moment. Uh, the season is coming to its closing stages, but the title race is already over. Yeah, it's, um, it's been an incredible run from Budo Glimt this season. Uh, it came a little bit out of nowhere. Um, so they were, for a bit of context, they were promoted in 2017 after a year in the second tier. So then for the season of 2018, they finished 11th. And then the next year, last season, they finished second, which everyone kind of felt was this blip, right? Like they really overachieved one year and then the team will be taken apart and sold to Rustenborg and Molda. And, and that happened with a couple players. But this year, they, they came out and out of the blocks won 10 consecutive matches. They've won 22 of their 25. And they play what Norwegians call fest football, which translates to party football. The prime minister referenced that in her congratulatory tweet after they sealed the title last weekend. And they've just been incredible to watch. I would say they've been one of the most entertaining teams to watch in the world this year, really. They play a 4-3-3 at a really high tempo, high press, and it's really impressive because it's a, it's a team from a town of 50,000 people. They have you know, maybe a third of the budget of teams like Rusenborg, and they're the first team from northern Norway to ever win the league. And I saw that they're the most northerly club to ever win a top tier. And I think, I think they'll probably hold on to that one for quite a while. Yeah, I can't imagine that there are many places in the world that can challenge them for that record. And yeah, as you said, they've played a lot of party football that's been fun to watch because they're only a few goals short of all-time record or goals. They're also only a couple of points short of breaking the all-time points record as well. But it's the seventh champion in 15 years in Norway. I know Rosenborg have won most of the ones in between, but does that kind of show testament to how competitive the top league is in Norway? Yeah, and I, and I think that perception is just now beginning to change, especially with Budo coming out and doing so well the last couple of years, you know, after having been in the second tier. I, I would say in general, it doesn't feel that competitive just because Rustenborg's reputation looms so large over the last 30 years. But, you know, like you said, in the last 16 seasons, there's been seven different champions. And I think, especially in the last couple of years, when there's been a weaker Rosenborg, it does feel fairly open. You know, I think each year experts are going to tip Rosenborg and Mulda to be in the top two places, the top three places. But I think beyond that, 
it does really feel wide open where you could see another team like Abudo come in and do really well just by being more clever. <laughs> and I think part of that is just due to the fact that there's not a bunch of mega rich owners here. There's not a crazy TV deal. So it's not like Budo's incredible championship was, you know, a victory against global capitalism. <laughs> like it felt like Leicester was, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can just be a better run club, better at developing players. And, and Budo has a lot of players that were journeymen or had spent time in the second tier or just local kids that came through. So it does feel open to, to a surprise each year. And, and when I look at you know, pretty much any team beyond Mulder and Rosenborg. And if you were to tell me that, you know, any one of them could finish in the top three or four, I would say, yeah. I mean, it would, it would be difficult to say that you, to rule anyone out, really. And, and that's been a lot of fun. You know, even last year, Viking were newly promoted. They finished fifth. Uh, they won the cup. Uh, this year, Braun, the club that I have a season to get to, uh, they were favorites to finish in the medal places. Um, in Norway, first through third go gold, silver, bronze, like medals. So it, there's, there's a big deal to, to finishing second and third. And, and Braun were favorites for finishing in the medal places. And you know, they're now in a relegation fight. So, yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. And especially in the last few years, you know, as Rosenborg have had some struggles in kind of um, readjusting their squad and finding the right manager, it's really felt open and, and really exciting. You've mentioned that you're a season ticket holder at Brand. Have you been able to make any use of that this season or have fans just been completely shut out of all games in Norway? Yeah, so they have had 200 spectators for most of the season and then it recently increased to 600. So I've been twice now, lost both matches. And the, the first one I went, it was when it was back at 200. But all 200 of those tickets for those that match went to the supporter section, kind of the, the ultras. So it, it sounded great. It was really noisy on TV, I heard. Um, but it was still extremely eerie to be in behind one of the goals and then looking out at 16,000 empty seats. But yeah, I mean, of course, it's been amazing to be back at, at live football. And I also have a season ticket at Sandviken, which is the top women's team in the city. And those have been great as well. It's at, it's at a smaller stadium that's kind of right on a fjord and has an amazing view and that's kind of felt like a, a normal match day and and really cozy so it's i felt very lucky to, to beat a, quite a few matches this year probably you know, almost 10 across the two well that that beats my one um, i've been to one small little <laughs> uh local non-league game in uh, bath um at lark hall athletic but um thinking back to um more simple times what would be the expectation that you'd have around a match day what is the match day experience in a typical Norwegian Premier League game you know I think it's funny here when I go pre-match before a Braun match I go to a a pub Victoria owned by a couple of brothers that are around my age 30s 40s and it very much feels like a pub from the UK and, you know, the Smiths are playing before the match. And <laughs> so it's kind of funny. It, it, that very much has like the UK casuals culture. And then an actual match day, I've, I've been really surprised since I moved here three years ago and first started going to matches, how good the atmosphere is in Norway. Um, I guess I just didn't know what to expect, but flares have been legal. It's a little bit in flux at the moment, due to an incident at the end of last season, in recent years, flares have been legal and there's an application process. 
to get it approved by the FA and the local fire department and and the supporters groups organized to allow for the safe purchase of flares and and that's been great at at kind of fostering an ultras atmosphere and then safe standing is also allowed which is fantastic and I think really helps generate a good atmosphere at matches and especially you know some of the bigger clubs Braun, Rosenborg, Volarenga, Lillestrøm clubs with really big supporters groups I think can generate you know really feisty atmosphere in a good way. It is interesting though because away day trips are extremely long. It's not uncommon that especially over here on the west coast that um in Bergen that your rival can be a few hours away. You know our closest rival is Haugesund and you take a ferry to get there. So um in terms of away days, you know, if you get a hundred away supporters, that's that's extremely impressive. So I think some of the distances have prevented a big away day culture. But but yeah, I, I think in general, like the atmospheres here in Norway are a lot of fun. And of course there's some beautiful places to watch football. At Brunstadion you can see uh, the tallest of the seven mountains here in Bergen behind the stands and if you sit on the other side of the stadium you, you can see another one of the mountains and you know i i've been going to a, a club in the third tier sutra nearby and behind the benches is just like a sheer rock face so you're sitting in the stands just looking at this cliff and i mean yeah it, there's some incredible places to watch football here sounds like it's a bucket list destination for any uh, aspiring football travelers then uh, mountains in the background of a stadium you know a proper premier league stadium as well that's just incredible and um yeah you said that there's flares allowed and big atmospheres which games in a season is there typically the bigger atmospheres which are the marquee matches of the season so Molde rosenborg is the biggest match in norwegian football for sure especially given their dominance over the last few decades and kind of how it's always those two fighting for the title in a typical year. I would say Volaranga Lillestrøm is an extremely big derby in the Oslo area. Volaranga being in the city and Lillestrøm, which they will get teased for, is kind of a suburb that is along the train route from the airport into Oslo. And Lillestrøm fans are very intense. I think they have the biggest supporters group in Norway with 5,000 members maybe. And it was actually that match last year and the season as the Lillestrøm eventually were relegated that led to the discussion over flares. Um, a couple of flares ended up on the field. Uh, the stadium there has apartments built in behind one of the goals and Bolaranga fans threw a flare in onto one of the balconies there. And yeah, it got pretty intense. There's also the Elv Classico, uh, Elv being the Norwegian word for river, um, between Mjøndalen and Strømgatse, two teams just down the river from each other in Drammen. And that also is a really intense derby. And then, of course, there's the the National Day of Football on the 16th of May, which is the evening before Sittenamai, which is the national day here in Norway. And every team plays. The biggest teams are usually playing at home. And it's it's kind of like a big party the day before the big national holidays. We, everyone, you know, most people are going to have the day off the next day. So it's kind of like a tradition to fill the stadiums and start the party early. Yeah, that almost feels like a kind of Boxing Day scenario in the UK, yeah. except you can probably go to a match in a new T-shirt. And 
what's the atmosphere and fan culture like when you get further down the pyramid in Norway? Yeah, I think once you get to probably the third tier here, the post-Nord Ligan, that is probably very similar to um, the stature of non-league in the UK. So, you know, I think averages, average attendances at that level are around three or 500 fans. And I think you get some of the same, the same football nerdiness that you see at non-league, you know, in England, where there's a lot of ground hopping and there's fans who are, you know, taking their Saturday to go and follow a local club with local kids playing. And a lot of the squads in the third tier will be filled out with players in their lower 20s or in their teens um, who've come and played locally and, you know, hoping to get on the radar of a, of a bigger local club. Um, so I think there's, there's similarities there in terms of the kind of the football nerds are attracted to, to the lower tiers. And again, I think the culture of that is a little bit hampered by, again, distances in terms of away days and flying across the country to see a, a non-league team instead of driving or taking the train six or eight hours. So I don't think that it has quite the same history as it does in the UK, the same culture of week in, week out, home and away. But yeah, there's definitely some similarities there. Yeah, in England, it's almost like a two-hour away days long, you know, as opposed to mm-hmm. six hours on a train or a big, massive ferry journey. Right, I'm going to slightly switch the focus now and talk about um, international football in Norway because there's a lot of attention on a certain player who's uh, ripping it up in Germany and Europe at the moment, uh, Alexander Sorloff. <laughs> you weren't expecting me to go there. I didn't, but I like what you've done. Yeah, having the duo of... Sorloth and um, Holland, who uh, who is also sometimes mentioned as a big Norwegian player. Yeah, um, yeah. hasn't he just scored uh, 15 goals in the Champions League now <laughs> in yeah. 12 games? Yeah, it, it's crazy. And, and I think, I don't think anyone knows what his ceiling is yet, obviously. And it's really exciting to see. And, and I'm, I'm not even kidding about the duo of Sorloth and Holland. I think that, that could be a, a really prosperous... Um, source of goals for the Norwegian national team in the coming decade. There's, there really is now beginning to be a big generational turnover in the squad. Holland is unbelievable and I think has all the talent to become the best player in the world. Edegaard, you know, we have the, now the, the number nine of Dortmund and the number 10 of Real Madrid playing for Norway. Sandra Berga at Sheffield United. The latest uh, hot prospect, Jens Petterhauga, who came from that title-winning Budo side to AC Milan and just got his first start in the Europa League last night. So does it feel like there's quite a lot of optimism around the Norwegian national team and that they'd be able to qualify for their first major tournament since 2000? Obviously, they've got uh, Lars Lagerback as their coach as well, who managed to take Iceland to their first major tournament ever in 2016. Does it feel like that's something that's on the horizon for Norway? Yeah, and it's funny because I think there's actually a lot of frustration around Lagerbeck and that you know this Euro qualifying campaign should have been the first tournament back for Norway and I would say they certainly had the talent to do so unfortunately there were some tactical lineup decisions for that Serbia playoff that eventually had them knocked out so so I think the squad is at a place where they have so much talent that what this was really seen as a missed opportunity for the men's team to qualify for their first uh, tournament yeah, in 20 years. And I think, I mean, obviously, World Cup qualification from Europe is, is very difficult just with the amount of teams. But it is certainly only a matter of time before this team 
qualifies for a tournament again, especially when you look at the amount of talent that's you know hovering right around 20 years old. And I think, yeah, Wes Lagerback has had an incredible career and, you know, done some remarkable things for underachieving nations. And I think he did the same with Norway when he first arrived and kind of got them to the level where they should be, where playing against Romania is a match where you're going to get three points. You expect to get three points and there's going to be no disappointment there. And I think when you look back at the European qualification campaign and they have a lot of draws against, you know, Spain and Sweden, which doesn't sound like a bad result, but they were all matches that I think Norway could have won and they should have qualified without needing the playoff. And I think part of that is Lars Lagerback probably not being the right manager for this new moment, if that makes sense. Did a remarkable job with the moment he came into. And I think now the squad has evolved where to kind of take that next step, qualify for a tournament, progress through a tournament, they probably need a different approach um, from a different manager. Yeah, and obviously it was disappointing uh, that Norway didn't qualify for the Euro 20, well now 2021 tournament. And uh, there was more turmoil in the uh, national team over the most recent international break where pretty much a B team had to be uh, quickly assembled and they managed to get a 1-1 draw with Austria. How did that situation arise? Yeah, that was... That was one of the strangest, one of the strangest incidents I've seen, um, I don't know, in football recently, mm. um, in a year of strange incidents, of course. Yeah, so Norway had a, a player test positive for COVID-19 while he was already part of the camp. So then, per the Norwegian government, the entire squad had to be isolated, which of course they already were, but they had to technically be in a quarantine for 10 days. So they had actually gotten to the airport in Oslo and were told, no, you cannot fly to Austria. You all need to quarantine for 10 days. At which point the Federation then scrambled from a, I believe it was from a Sunday evening through a Monday to assemble an entirely new squad, almost all of whom were based in Europe. Uh, one player, Betten Berisha, was actually based in Norway, but he had already gotten COVID-19. So he was able to travel and then subsequently come back without quarantining. Yeah, so they built an entirely new squad, uh, which was quickly dubbed the Nydlandslaget, which is the emergency national team. Um, and they became like these folk heroes in, in the space of, yeah, whatever, 48 hours. There's some great moments on social with, you know, one of our center backs, donning a cape and running towards the camera with his passport in hand like a superhero answering the call and um yeah and of course they went to vienna they went up one nil and you know of course ended one one with a injury time equalizer from austria but i think what that team showed that night was a level of intensity and effort and really sweating and bleeding for the shirt that I think is sometimes missing from a loggerback led side that is a little bit passive. So, you know, this team, yeah, really like won over some hearts in their uh, short period of existence. And I think only six of them had been capped before. Um, so Matt Smuller Dolly probably being the biggest name. He had been at Cardiff and then St. Pauli and is now at Genk in Belgium. Um, and he has 
quite a few caps. But otherwise, I mean, it was a brand new team of, of people who were happy to answer the call and put in an incredible performance. So do you think that there's the potential for some of these players to potentially get more caps now they've got that sort of first cap under their belt? Yeah, I, I, think, I think players like, yeah, Matt Smoller-Dolly, who is, you know, has many previous caps, I think he will now be back into the conversation of you know, not only being a part of the full squad, but I think there's an argument that he could be part of the starting 11. Um, and same with Sandra Tronstad, who plays at Vitesse in the Eredivisie and he's a midfielder and I think he's another player who looked like you know the match he put in against Austria that performance is one that Norway could use and you know looked better than a lot of their recent midfielders so I I think there's some of those guys were older and in their late 20s and are probably out of the conversation but you know now have a remarkable night and a remarkable story to tell but I do think there are some you know probably a handful of players that we'll probably um, be seeing further call up. And I'm sure that there'll be a team that I've talked about for years to come uh, as the team that kind of rescued them when they most needed. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the Norway team that beat Brazil. And like, I, I think this is going to be another like infamous team that had a, a famous result. Mm. And another Norwegian team that seem to get good results on an international stage are the women's team because you know they qualify for major tournaments a lot more regularly and made it to the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 2019 and that was all without without their kind of star player Arda Hegerberg who refuses to play for the national teams so how come in women's football you know these world-class players sometimes don't end up playing for their national teams? Yeah I think uh, Hegerberg is a unique case, um, you know, where I think she's had conversations with the federation and the team in the past where she doesn't feel that women's football is taken as seriously as it should be and has therefore decided to not be a part of the national team. And I think, I think it's hard to argue against her stance that women's football is not taken as, as seriously as it should be. And, and that's her choice to not be a part of the national team. And I think there's, you know, luckily for Norway, there's plenty of other um, really, really talented players in that squad. Caroline Graham Hansen, you know, they have three players playing at Chelsea at the moment. Um, but the team has been, yeah, really, really successful in recent years. And I think, like the men's team, um, should continue to get better in the coming years. And I think, you know, there's also almost like um, Zlatan in Sweden, like without Hegerberg, is, it's almost like there's a weight lifted from the rest of the squad in terms of having this, this star that, that needs to be focused on. And it's a bit of a more cohesive group perhaps. Um, or maybe that's just the story we tell ourselves to feel better um, about missing, missing Ada from the squad. Well, of course, Slatan's uh, possibly planning a comeback for the Euros this year. Do you think Hegerberg might be making an appearance at the um, women's Euros in 2022, which is going to be hosted in England? I don't know. I mean, I think it does kind of feel like that conversation has been closed. And then you look at, you know, her unfortunate recent injuries. It's difficult to see her coming back into the fold. But of course, we'd love to see it. It would be incredible to have the world's best player on her day (laughs) back in the Norwegian squad. Yeah, and obviously the dispute kind of started with women's football not apparently being taken as seriously as it should be in Norway. But does it feel like the status of women's football is growing in Norway as it is around the world? Yeah, I do. And, 
so the top tier league here, the top Serian, yeah, aptly named, is has been very competitive this year. So historically, LSCO have won the last six seasons um, and have really dominated Norwegian football. And this year, we're heading into the final day of the season on the 6th of December. There's been a little bit of a break due to um, COVID again. But on that last day of the season, there's three teams that could win the title. And they're all within a point of each other. And none of them are LS Co. So one of the big developments here was Rusenborg getting a women's team. So they, they partnered with a local club in Trondheim, Trondheim's Orn, who have really been pioneers of women's club football in Norway. And partnered with them, folded them into the bigger Rusenborg club structure. They changed their name. Um, they brought in some Norwegian national team players back from abroad. Yeah, they, they're one of those three teams that could win the title. Bolorenga has a very strong side this year. And there's, there's a lot of Norwegian players who are now more keen to stay in the top Syrian or, you know, as I said, come back to the top Syrian as it's gotten more competitive, which is great to see. I think, you know, for the most part, there's been a huge exodus of talent. Whenever someone has been a rising star, they, they move to England or Germany or France. And, and I think we're beginning to see some of them stick around more, but you know, it's a semi-professional league. So my local club, Sandviken, you know, a lot of the players on the squad are students. You know, one has her own pizza dough company that's made from like uh, vegetable scraps. And then they make these pizza doughs and it's like very, very good. She also played at Fiorentina at one point. So I think she's learned some good tips. And it's like impressive to be like, wow, you're starting your own business. This is great. But, you know, she also says, yeah, I'm starting my own business because I'm a women's football player. And I know that like I need another business and I need another profession, especially once I retire to keep going. And so it's very different, you know, I think from some of the bigger women's leagues in Europe in terms of professionalism, beginning to change a little bit, but there's not quite the same amount of financial investment. Um, So the league is still very much semi-professional. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of wrap things up, what three words would you use to describe Norwegian football as a whole, or phrases? <laughs> yeah, um, there's a Norwegian phrase, dugnad, and that's a, that's a term that's used for a day in the spring when all your neighbours get together and collectively come and kind of clean up the neighbourhood and paint the fence and plant some new bushes or flowers or whatever. And I think that collectivism um, is something you you see a lot where, you know, not only how fan groups come together, but just kind of the, the culture among clubs with there not being a ton of egos in, in Norwegian football. And, you know, I think players have a decent amount of say in things. And I also think, you know, between fan groups, of course, there are big rivalries, but at the end of the day, I think things are, are pretty even keeled here. And, and like I said, I think that, that collectivism where there's just this kind of cozy atmosphere within the culture of Norwegian football is something that, that sticks out. And I think another is like promising. Like I, I think if you, if you look toward the future of football in Norway, it's, it's amazing you know, how many positive things I have to say about the elite Serien and the top Serien and both the national teams. I think... There's just so much promise and optimism in Norway at the moment at the entire, the entire landscape of football here.
Right, well, that's perfect. Uh, thank you very much for coming on uh, for, for the conversation. Yeah, this has been great. It's a lot of fun. I could uh, talk about this for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, once again, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, hopefully see Norway at a major competition sometime soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Corners of the World. If you've been inspired by this discussion to watch the Norwegian Elite Assyrian, you can actually follow the league from the comfort of your own home in England by live coverage on Eurosport. Of course, you can also track your new teams' progress, as well as Norwegian players across Europe, by downloading the FOTMOB app. You can check out previous episodes of Corners of the World, as well as other great podcast series, by going to the URB podcast page on your favourite streaming service. I hope you will join me next week on Corners of the World to take a trip 600 kilometres to the west.